0: We, if you have a Bible, um, I, th- I think we're going to go to Romans chapter 4. Um, we were, we did a, we just finished a series, if you've been a part of our services, about church matters and the things that matter in a church and that they matter in our lives. And we talked about serving, we talked about giving, we talked about um, prayer, we talked about evangelism, and all of those things still matter in our lives. But um, we're moving into a series that I'm calling Golden Nuggets from the Epistles. Golden Nuggets from the Epistles. And from the letters that, that the apostles wrote to the churches in uh, the early church, uh, I wanna go through those Letters and I want to pull out what I've just simply referred to as golden nuggets. I mean, nuggets of truth that that speak to us, that resonate in our hearts, that kind of keep us in those dark times of life. I mean, they may be key verses that you have uh, for your life that you've just, you know, time and time again you've gone back to them and you've remembered them and you've clung to them. And, uh, you know, it just has been an amazing source of encouragement for you. And so it's called Golden Nuggets from the Epistles. And... Even as we go through this series, if there are verses in the epistles that mean something to you, uh, you know, use your Connect card and write them down. I can't promise that we'll go through all of them that you present to me, but I want to maybe draw some from some that you give me and some that uh, I've chosen on my own, and uh, we're just going to talk through those. And it's only going to be about eight weeks because that'll take us up to Christmas um, don't panic. Christmas is not only eight weeks away, uh, but we've got some special guests and some other events that are taking place. And so uh, I've got about eight Sundays before Christmas uh, to get through this series. And so um, calling it Gold Nuggets from the Epistles, I have in mind to do Golden Nuggets from the Old Testament and Golden Nuggets from the Gospels also. And so um, we're maybe not going to do them consecutively, but uh, we're going to go through those. And this week, The passage, well actually the passage next week that I was going to share with you comes from Romans chapter four. But we're going to go to Romans chapter four today and then we'll just take the passage that we were going to cover this week and uh, bump that to next week. But I really feel like we need to just go to Romans chapter four. This is, to me, this is a golden nugget. Um, This is just something that, as I was growing up, this was not a passage of scripture that was one of my favorites uh, because it was one of those that the, the hyper faith crazies always used, and um, I just didn't want any part of that. And what we have a tendency to do is when someone misuses something, we go to the opposite extreme and we just throw it out completely instead of really digging in and finding out what's going on. But this is an amazing passage of scripture dealing with with hope. Um, Our world needs hope. And if we do not engage ourselves or align ourselves with the God of hope, that in times that appear hopeless that we've already begun to find ourselves in, and I promise we will find ourselves in as we wait for the return of the Lord, these hopeless situations, um, we can't breathe hope into them. Uh, Many times as Christians, we become reactionary to stuff that's going on. I mean, it seems like you know, the government is corrupt or it seems like you know, finances are terrible and it seems like you know, there's an outbreak of stuff. And we, instead of responding with hope and faith that doesn't waver, we get all panicked and crazy and we, we post and read all of these articles from other people. Can I challenge you to read more of the scripture than you do articles from people? I mean, really, get the word of God in you. Because here's the thing, how do you know the difference between the real and the genuine? You study the genuine. Did I say real and genuine? Okay, let me repeat that again. The difference between the phony and the genuine is to study the genuine. I mean, people that wanna know what a counterfeit bill is when they see it the first time, don't study all the different counterfeits that are out there, they study the genuine article. So that when they see a counterfeit, they recognize it's counterfeit. And so you're not going to get that same thing by just, you know, listening to Christian radio and listening to your favorite pastors and teachers and authors and read. Nothing wrong with reading lots of books. I read all the time. I read three books at a time. I, I love to read and to fill my head with all kinds of knowledge. But one of the things I've been challenged recently in is reading more of the Word than I do other stuff. Because we have got to get the Word into our lives. That's what makes the difference. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is describing um, salvation, if you will, and how it first came through Abraham. Uh, You know, we've already had in Romans chapter 3 that... Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're moving into, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In fact, in verse 4 here, uh, when people work, their wages are not a gift. They're something they've earned. And what we have earned, the wages that we have earned as, as believers, or excuse me, as human beings, is death. That's what we've earned, that's what we get for all of our work and toil on earth is death. That's all we've earned, that's all we deserve, that's our paycheck. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And by putting faith and confidence in Christ, we receive eternal life. Not what we've earned, not what we've worked for, but it's a gift, And all it comes is by faith. Like wow that's profound. I already knew that Pastor Tom. Then he goes into Abraham believing God. And being credited as righteousness. Because of his faith. Not because of his works. Although there was the sign of circumcision. Abraham was not saved because of circumcision. Abraham was credited righteous and circumcision was the sign of it because Abraham believed God when God said I want you to circumcise all of the males in your family when Abraham did that it already proved he was righteous and his works just followed suit does that make sense like his righteousness and his works were working together So we can't say, God, I have faith in you, and yet not have corresponding action in our lives. That's what Abraham, or that's what James was telling us. Faith without works is dead. But Abraham was righteous before God, not because of what he did, but because of what he believed and the hope that he had in God. So then we come down to um, verse 17. Let's start in verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. Now, we receive it now, not because we keep the law, but because we have faith like Abraham's. A faith that believes God. When God promises something, we put trust and confidence in it, and it's proved by our obedient action. I mean, it, you can't say, uh, Abraham could not say, God, I believe in your promise that you're going to make me the father of, a great, of many nations, that you're going to bless all the people of the world through me, that you're going to give me numerous descendants. I, I believe that promise, but I'm just not going to circumcise my children. He couldn't have done that. Because his faith worked together with his action. Because he believed, because he said, God, I believe every promise you've given me, he put it to work and he circumcised his family. Now, there were other things that God had told him to do that he had to walk out and believe, but that's how his actions proved his faith. That's the kind of faith we're called to have. We can't just say, God, I believe you're my healer. Yep, I believe it. And not diligently pray for healing. God, I believe you're the, the, the Savior, but not diligently pray for salvation or diligently share our faith with people so they can receive salvation. Here's the thing. If we're not diligently praying for people to be saved or diligently praying for workers in the harvest field or diligently sharing our faith, we have a problem over here. We don't believe he's Savior. For when we truly come to the place, ah, He's Savior. He's Savior. It doesn't matter if I stumble over my words. It doesn't matter if I try to share my faith and I get it all backwards and messed up because He's the Savior. It doesn't matter if I lay hands on people and pray for them to be healed. It doesn't matter if I go forward for the umpteenth time to be prayed for because He's the healer. It's just as God calls, I respond to it. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. I want you to understand today, the God we serve takes dead things and makes them live. He does that still today. The same God that took Lazarus, who had been dead three days in a tomb, still has the ability, power, desire to bring life to dead bodies still today. You say, well, does that mean we just go pray over every grave and every dead body? No, did Jesus do that? No. In fact, the only time Jesus spoke to a dead body at a grave was at the tomb of Lazarus. And so what sometimes the hyper-faith people do is we take this verse and we just we want to go to the cemetery and just walk through and ask all the dead bodies to get up. Abraham never did anything in obedience that God didn't tell him to do. He walked with God closely. God spoke. Abraham responded in obedience. Jesus said the same thing. I never do anything that I don't see the Father doing, or I don't do anything outside what the Father tells me to do. So here's the thing. If the Father isn't telling us to share our faith, if the Father isn't telling us to pray for people, if the Father, I'm wondering, are we walking closely enough with Him? Because the God of all hope, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the Scripture, wants to invade hopeless situations. He wants to show up at your workplace when someone is overwhelmed with sickness or some type of problem, and he wants you to be the peace in that circumstance. He wants you to overflow with hope so that you can be hope to the hopeless. He creates new things out of nothing. (laughs) We serve a God that can do anything out of nothing. I mean this is the God that spoke and things came into being. Okay? Now I just read yesterday the story of Elisha and the 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 widow of one of the prophets that comes and says, "You know, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs and my husband is dead. Please help me. They're going to take my house. They're going to take all my property. My sons and I are going to have nothing." And his response to her is, "What's in your house? What do you got?" I mean, he needed something to work with. I mean, God's going to come through for you, but I need something to work with. What do you got? She's like, all I got is a little bit of oil. That's all we need. You don't need much when God's in the equation. So he says, go and get as many jars as you can get. Borrow them. Get them from everywhere. Now, I'm sure at the end of the story, she's kicking herself for not getting more jars. Because I bet there were jars that she could have gotten that she didn't get. So she kept filling the jars with this little jar of oil, she kept filling them and there was enough and she filled all the jars so there was no more and then there was, the oil stopped, the jar was empty. So she goes back to Elijah, she's like, okay, I did all that, now I got all this oil. He says, sell it, there's gonna be enough money to pay your debts and for you to live on. I mean, that's a great story. But what we're being told here is, we serve a God that doesn't even need anything in our house. I mean, he can start with Nothing. And do something. That's the God we serve. But we in our country are so underwhelmed by the God that we served. I mean, we know he heals. We know. I mean, we read the stories. But in our daily lives, we live underwhelmed by God. I mean, we don't walk around and just step outside and breathe air and say, God, thank you for creation today. I mean, we don't look at the, the stars and the, the trees and the, the flowers and say, God, you are so creative and awesome that you created all of this with just a word. Just the word. All he said was, let the, the ground team with living plants. He didn't even create them one by one. Just his word creatively made every plant and tree we have on the earth. That's a pretty good thing. Out of nothing, he did that. That's the God that we serve. Enter Abraham. Even when there was no reason for hope. I mean, God promises Abraham, you know, leave your land, leave your family, leave where you're comfortable, and you come to a land I'm going to show you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm going to give it to your descendants someday, many years down the road after they've been in slavery in the land of Egypt for 400 years, then I'm going to bring them out. I mean, this is the revealed promise later, but the first promise is I'm just going to bring you to a land and it's flowing with milk and honey. and I'm going to give it to your descendants. That's the promise given to Abraham. Now, there's probably a reason God didn't back here say, "Okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go over here. You're going to have, you know, you're going to wait till I'm going to wait till your wife is completely dried up, barren, and she can't have children, and then I'm going to give you a son. You're only going to see one son, and then uh, uh, from that son, I'm going to make many descendants. You're not going to see them, but it's going to happen way far away. But then the, they're all going to go into captivity in the land of Egypt. But don't worry, I'm going to rescue them. 400 years later, I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to take them to the edge of the Promised Land. They're going to completely reject." me so then they're going to wander for 40 years in the desert I mean why doesn't God go through all that with Abraham because he says you know here here Abraham you just trust me I mean there's a whole story I'm about to unfold and all you got to do is come over here and Abraham comes and he keeps believing God is going to meet him God is this is his one promise that he's going to have an heir and now, now let's keep reading believing he'd become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. I, I wanted to have a whole week to figure out how to say this without being really crass. Um... And I don't have that, so if I'm a little crass, just apology up front. Um, They're old. There's something that even at the age of 39 I have learned, that as a young teenage boy with hormones raging through your body, your sex drive is, is really strong. But as you age, it just begins to weaken. Little bits. And now we have commercials all over television for, you know, Cialis, and Viagra, because, you know, when you get to an age that your sex drive is just, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, um, that kind of thing, you know, it's just like, sometimes it's not even worth the effort. Does that make sense? And so even though Abraham and Sarah are way past childbearing years, I'm really trying to walk a fine line, (laughs) They're way past childbearing years. There's still this promise. They still had to consummate the act. I mean, it maybe was more work than it was when they were 20. But they still, And there was no drug hotline, no pharmacy open to help them. All they had was God. So they had to believe enough to at least consummate the act. They had to work together with God on this thing. And Abraham, against all hope, I mean, this situation could not get any more hopeless. You can't take a man who is 100 years old, he's dried up, a barren woman who's never had a child and is now way past childbearing years. I mean, it's not operating like it used to. And against all of that, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Stop. You know as well as I do, that doesn't seem to be true. If Abraham really never wavered, what? Ishmael, really? See, here's the thing. Sometimes we feel like we have to be absolutely perfect. And God says, all you gotta do is trust me. In the trusting process, some days your faith will just weaken beyond belief and you will do the stupidest thing you could ever imagine. Probably a stupid At sleeping with your wife's maidservant and having a child, and calling that God's promise. That's what he did. God, you know, I know your arm might be too short because I'm pretty old now, so I had Ishmael over here, and uh, you can just go ahead and bless him. And you know what God says about him? He says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. I mean, he made some mistakes, but when God says, you know, I'll bless Ishmael because he's your offspring, but that's not my promise. That's not my promise. That's you. You you did that, and everyone that looks at that is going to know you did that. When I do it, people are going to look and say, God did that. And so against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed God. God. That's what the scripture says. So verse 20 again, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Now, here's the the kicker of this story, or this passage. This is written to show us how Abraham is the father of faith. I mean, it's written for the purpose of outlining salvation and showing us that Abraham believed God and God worked. I know it's not a chapter about miracles, it's not a chapter about faith, it's not a chapter about the power of God. But here's the thing about the Word of God it's living and active, it's powerful. And so even in the process of outlining the the father of our faith and how Abraham believed God, God interjects this story and ultimately gives us a chance to believe against all hope. See, the promises that God gives in his word, God is able to do. But some of us find ourselves in situations, whether it's, it's in some type of debt, it's in some type of sickness, it's in some type of situation. Then I referred to God's promise to Jeremiah. When he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to buy that tract of land. And Jeremiah's like, really Lord? And the the scripture says, let me see if I can find it real quick. I want to read it to you from the scripture instead of just trusting my brain because my brain doesn't work like it used to. you could look too and then the first one to find it it could be like bible quiz God's promise to Jeremiah when he tells him to buy land it says is the arm of the lord too short I can't find it. If only I would have brought my Bible that's all marked up, we would find it. Yeah. But as God is speaking to Jeremiah and telling him, in a land of captivity, I want you to do this. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to buy property in a land that you're about to be evicted from. But God says, do it. Buy the property. Because it's going to prove you're coming back. I mean, you're going to be gone for 70 years. And here's the thing, Jeremiah, you're going to buy this land and your descendants are going to get it back, but you're not even going to benefit from it. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with going, doing something for God that we're not going to get any benefit from? I mean, against all hope, you can stop looking, look at me. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed God even though all he saw was one descendant. And some of us that were looking for God to do a miracle in our lives, we're, we're only worried about what God is gonna do for us. And maybe the obedient steps that God is asking us to take along the way are more for our children and our grandchildren and our, our neighbors and our coworkers. And maybe they really don't have anything to do with us, but God is trying to stretch it out more. And if you'll just keep hoping in God, not hoping in hope, not hoping in the the right phraseology. I mean, you don't have to go to a prayer conference and learn the right way to pray. You don't have to to figure out the right words to use and worry the whole time you're praying, am I using the right words? Have I put this together right? Is this correct? No, you just put your hope in God. The God of all hope, the God who calls what is dead back to life, the God who creates something out of nothing. And yet, we come into a service like this, and a word of the Lord comes and says, Hey, come and I will fill you. Here, let me ask this Why don't we come? Why don't we come? Why when the word of the Lord says, you come around this altar today and I'm going to fill you, either we don't need to be filled, because we're already overflowing everywhere we go and miracles are prevalent and power is flowing, our children are all walking with the Lord and we don't need more of Him, or we don't see the benefit for us right now, or we're too afraid, but why don't we come? I know that there are people sitting in this room right now, you're in a situation where it is hopeless. And this morning, I believe the word of the Lord was, you come and I'm gonna intervene in your hopeless situation. That doesn't mean that today would have been the day that it all broke out, but today would have been a day God would have strengthened something. And that's faith that's not wavering. And so here's the question, when we say come, why don't we come? Why don't we move? Here's what I've become convinced of. We can't just keep going to church. We can't just keep coming and sitting in these nice pews for an hour and a half on Sunday and going out there and living the same way we've been living. Because there is hopelessness everywhere. And if we're not filled with enough of him, we're going to get swallowed up by the hopelessness. And we're going to be hopeless too. And the stuff we post on Facebook is going to be hopeless. The stuff we share with our coworkers is going to be hopeless. It's going to be nitpicky. It's going to be critical. Instead of being filled with hope and filled with life. I mean, when God looks at Abraham, who had Ishmael, big screw up, huge Okay? Big mistake. Look at the repercussions of it still today on the earth. Huge mistake. You know what God says about him? His faith never wavered. So why when we look at situations where people make a big mess, all we can talk about is the mess. Look, they did something stupid. Look, they did it again. Why don't we look at it with the eyes of faith and hope and overflow with hope and speak life into that situation. You know I think we don't? We're not filled with enough life. Ouch, all of this was good right up until you said that, Pastor Tom. I want us to overflow with hope. Not because our lives are cheerful and happy, not because the music here is lively and it just makes us feel good, but because we serve the God of all hope. We serve a God who takes something that is dead and brings it back to life. We serve a God who takes nothing and makes something. And when you step out and you start asking him to do it, you know what he does? He does immeasurably more than you would even ask or imagine. He says, I want you to ask me this. And you ask him that. And then in response to your faith, he does more than you've even asked him to do. But if we don't move, he waits. He waits. See, those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. He waits on those of us to move. He calls us. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. We're going to sing that song again. Always, always. Our God will come through when? Always. He comes through, always, every single time. In every hopeless situation, He comes through. Now, some of you are in here today and you're not in a hopeless situation at all. That's great. Praise God. Some of you are in a hopeless situation. Now, you may have even already responded with your hopeless situation, but I want to ask you to respond again. Here's the word of God. This is what Abraham did in response to God's promise. What is God's promise to us? Salvation for our families. What is God's promise to us? Healing for our bodies strength and grace for every circumstance you face. You are gonna to go to work today, you are gonna, or this week, you are gonna to go to work, and you're gonna to go to school, you're gonna to go to different situations and you're gonna find yourself in some overwhelming circumstances. Your boss is gonna be nitpicky or critical or you're gonna have people that walk into your office or walk into where you are and they're gonna just be blah. And you have a chance to overflow with hope. The God of all hope wants to fill you with hope so that you can overflow with hope everywhere you go. So you're gonna be able to look into a situation and speak life and hope to it instead of just speaking what you see. I am so grateful that God did not write in Hebrews chapter 11 and in Romans chapter four, Abraham, the guy who made big mistakes. I'm so glad in the book of Acts, we don't hear about David, the murderous adulterer. No, we hear about David, the man after God's own heart. This message is twofold today. One, if you're in a hopeless situation, there's a God of all hope that wants to minister to you and work in that situation. Two, We as human beings, as believers in this community, need to be so filled with God's hope that we overflow with hope. It's time for us to start speaking life into dead situations. It's time for us to start speaking life into those situations. Now, I'm not claiming we have the power to bring the dead back to life, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The same spirit that quickened Christ from the dead now dwells in us. So when God wants to bring someone back to life who is dead, He's going to be looking for someone who he can come to that's overflowing with hope that'll speak. He's not going to thunder from the heavens. Lazarus, come forth. He's going to look for one of us to speak life, to speak life. Let's stand together. As we close this service today, I want us to sing this song again. Always. God comes through always. If you're here today and you are in a hopeless situation, I want you to come and I want you to stand at this altar because I want I want to separate those of you that are coming to be prayed for and those that just want to come and seek. If you want to overflow with hope so that you can bring hope into situations, I want you to come and find a place to kneel around this altar. If you need to be dismissed while we're singing and closing, feel free to do that. But we want to take time to allow God to minister to those who have had some time that they can sit. And so, Father, I thank you today that you desire to work in our lives the same way that you work throughout the scripture. God, I thank you that you desire to minister to us the same way that you ministered throughout the word. God, that you desire to work in our lives. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, I pray that today that you would work in our hopeless situations. God, in those situations where Where our lives are falling apart, where there is debt that we don't know how to get out of, God, where there is sickness, where there's no hope. God, whatever the situation would be today, you are the God of all hope, and today we put our trust in you. We put our confidence in you and in you alone. Father, I pray for each of us today that we would overflow with hope. Father, we need you to come today and chisel off the critical nature. We need you to come today and chisel off, God, the, just the, the anxiety, the fear that hinders us from walking in your true hope. God, we want to overflow with hope. God, we don't want to sugarcoat it. We don't want to just, uh, God, make a weird comments at people. God, we want to speak life. We want to speak hope into situations. We want to speak what you're speaking into that situation. So fill our hearts today with hope. Fill our hearts with your hope today, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
1: My foes are many. They rise against